do you guys act more as a an unofficial call it web three arm for these different pieces of talent? Is that I'd say we're more the representative for the brands. If yeah. anything, like the, the 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 talents have their representation. Right. We're the representation for the brands in a lot of these conversations because the brands need it. Let's be honest. Um, you know, you put you put a brand in a room with a WME agent. There's some scary motherfuckers. WME <laughs> is no joke. Like they are they are meant they're sharks in the water sent to kill you. You know, so if you're a brand and you're not accustomed to that, especially if you're not one of the top ten largest brands in the world and you still want to work with us, like we do, still work with some leading Web three companies. You're listening to Lights, Camera, Crypto, the podcast exploring all things entertainment and Web3. I'm your host, Stephen Ladden, and this week our guest is Cash Lab's founder and managing director, David Cash. In this episode, David discusses his career beginnings as a child actor, starting his own production company, and eventually discovering Web3 and forming Cash Labs, which has since been named the leading force in bringing Web3 to market by Vogue. For Cash Labs works with some of the most well-known brands like Netflix, Estee Lauder, and the NBA, and helping integrate them into Web3. Let's dive in. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. It's a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. Um, so, you know, you and I had spoken about two months ago, three months ago, uh, for a nice profile piece on Decential, which was focused on your company Cash Labs and sort of the work you guys are doing specifically advancing the metaverse forward and you had Metaverse Fashion Week and uh, a, a, an assortment of other cool things. But for, for those that who, who may not know uh, the intricacies of you, um, maybe just start at the beginning. You know, what, what led you to a career uh, in, in Web3? Was that always, a, was the internet something intriguing as a, as a kid? Where did all of your earlier aspirations lie? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks again for having me on the podcast. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think from a young age, I was always interested in media. I was a child actor. Um, I was making films since the fourth grade that I was trying to send to uh, film festivals. I was in very a lot of youth film festivals, as you can wow. imagine, uh, you know, being kind of like a trepidatious, very ADD child. Um, and how that, I guess, progressed into, into Cash Labs, uh, which since we last spoke, uh, Vogue called us the leading force bringing Web3 projects to market, which is, wow. I think they said endeavors. They used a nicer word. They said Web3, Web3 endeavors to market, um, which is very nice of them. I didn't even write that article, which was lovely. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, since like between then and now, um, a lot has happened. I was an actor for 12 years. Um, I ran a production company uh, for just under seven years. Um, and then this is my, I guess, third kind of official venture. Um, and yeah, I've always been interested in in new media. I think when I was a kid, um, that was like avant-garde theater um, and like weird theater practices and like mixed media theater stuff, I suppose. Um, when I got older, I guess that was, you know, my production company, um, you know, doing stuff in the realm of VR and AR, which I never thought was weird. That was always kind of normal to me. And it was just like one of the many things that I saw people doing. Because, you know, even in high school, um, when I was in high school, uh, I remember, you know, I was a student tester for Adobe. And I remember that, you know, that early version of Adobe Premiere was like good enough um, to render a VR ex output. And so we tried some like experimental VR stuff. It was terrible. It took like 48 hours to render anything. Um, but I was always interested, um, I'd say on like a creative level. And then um, in my production company, uh, in addition to that, you know, we also did a lot in the in the early days of, you know, influencer uh, marketing and content creation. Um, we worked with a lot of influencers. One of our early um, wins, one of my early wins was uh, 
when I was running my um, my production company, David Cash Studios. They're always <laughs> a little bit similar in terms of naming. You know, I had Cash Talent Management, David Cash Studios. You know, it, it's always kind of under the same uh, umbrella. I like my name. Uh, it's mine, so I might as well use it. Um, yeah, when I was doing that, we, we did a lot in, in terms of working with influencers and trying to bring, um, you know, social media influencers like uh, Vine stars and then TikTok stars um, into more traditional media outlets. So like fashion magazines principally. And that was kind of like our main thing. You know, we got some social media stars published in Vogue and that was very much like uh, our calling card. So sure. yeah, that, hopefully that gives you some context, but I'm sure you might have some uh, follow-ups <laughs> from that. Yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. And I, and I think though, so it sounds like then there was always an early interest in the arts and performance in, in creation. And so it sounds like you took that initial route directly to it and to the arts and then sort of pivoted and merged art with more of a, a business slash advertising sort of, you know, you, you, you yeah. were able to, to merge those two worlds together into maybe what you have now. No, absolutely. I mean, Andy Warhol said something to the effect, I always butcher the quote, but it's something to the effect of, you know, business is the finest form of art. Um, and I think to your point, I absolutely did take the more direct approach initially. You know, um, when I was in high school, I did everything. You know, I played six instruments. I was in every play. I, I wanted to be in, the, you know, as the head of the film club. Like I wanted to do everything. Um, and that all kind of, you know, when they made, when you had to choose, when you had to go to college, you know, my first choice, um, I guess first love was acting. And then I did have a director, you know, I won't give the whole, you know, spiel. This is very much the Coles notes, but I did have a director once tell me, you know, I was in a professional production and a director told me, uh, David, we don't pay you to have ideas. And that was like, oh, you know, like, you know, Crushing, yeah. It, was, it was, yeah, absolutely. It was ter terrible to hear that. So um, that very made, made, that very much made me think. And it's funny because I actually had a, I had a high school drama teacher who was always telling me, you know, when I was saying, I want to be an actor, I want to be an actor. Um, she was always saying, David, you're going to do so much more than acting. And I always took offense to that until I was much older. And then I was like, you know what? She's right. That, that was her trying to, you know, uh, protect me from, I guess, that future person who was, uh, you know, sharing with me that he wasn't paying me uh, to have ideas. And so from that moment forward, you know, I guess I more and more was just trying to get paid to have more ideas and, you know, going bigger, bigger picture. And um, that does often result in, you know, the business aspect of it. You know, businesses are not um, easy to run and and run successfully. Um, you know, a lot of people have a lot of challenges when it comes to, you know, um, financial literacy and and that, you know, combined with an artistic pursuit um, and the, the marketing and the creative and the commercial and the, you know, selling an intangible luxury good, you know, all of these things that are, you know, so disparate and come from so many different worlds. Um, it takes a very specific individual to kind of bring all those worlds together. So, um, I, I feel very, you know, lucky to have, you know, experienced all these different kind of kinds of verticals. The fact that I've, you know, been an actor allowed me to be, you know, very well media trained and be in front of the media from a very young age. Um, the fact that I ran a production company allowed me to uh, literally wear every single hat because I was very right. scrappy at the beginning and I took every single job that I could possibly get um, for the first seven years of my career. You know, I would, you need a stylist. I'm a stylist. You need a props master. I'm a props master. You need a, a third PA to the front who can uh, drive a golf cart. Sure. That's me. You know, and I did that for a long time until I started, you know, being taken seriously and getting, you know, better and better clients um, going from, you know, working at the local Chabad at my college, my first year of running my company to, you know, getting clients like Netflix and Gaviscon and uh, Brisk and all these types of people that I was um, working with towards the end of my first production company. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's all a process and it's and it's definitely not um, it's definitely not, a, I guess, sequential or or normal but i think to work in an industry like web3 you know where we're working at the intersection of you know art tech fashion um music uh you know uh did i say tech sports uh you know <laughs> tech again right it's, it's it's a very confluous uh it's a very uh 
convoluted is a better word for that, uh, you know, industry in a good way, um, because a lot of these worlds merge and it does take, you know, certain types of people who you see kind of having worked in many industries. You know, I've worked in New York Fashion Week, but I've also produced a ton of art shows. Um, I've also, you know, been on tour um, with a with a theater production. Um, I've also been on tour with a musician uh, as a production person. Uh, you know, I've, I've worked music festivals. I've worked nightclubs. I've worked, you know, a lot of these different places. And, and they all kind of come up when you're doing something like, um, you know, launching a Web3 project or, or you know, uh, bringing a brand to market, um, a big, you know, international brand to market. There's a lot of expectations and a lot of um, mixed worlds, I think, that that come up. So anyway, that's my long-winded answer. Long-winded, but very informative. So you had all these different experiences and you had all these different intersections, as you said, with different industries, what was it about Web3 that made you feel like that was the path coming from this more acting, artistic, production company background? How, how was all of that experience the lead into eventually Cash Labs and in, in where you are now? Yeah, great question. Um, so first of all, what I always like to mention is I was always interested in blockchain tech for various reasons. Um, by always, I mean, in 2014, uh, I bought some Bitcoin, um, and I used it for some, you know, less than favorable purposes. I'm going to be honest, I'm in Canada, it's legal here. Um, I bought some Bitcoin and I bought some weed when I was in high school. Um, and I, I feel no shame in saying that now it's, now it's, uh, legal where I am. So there's, right. there's no issue in that front. Um, but that being said, I bought, you know, just a teeny bit of Bitcoin, uh, you know, like one or two Bitcoin back in the day, or probably much more. Um, and I'm not, I'm just, you know, trying to say that and be humble about it. Um, <laughs> because at that point, Bitcoin is not worth very much. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's, that's what I did, you know, back in 2014, um, fast forward to 2019, um, I was, uh, amongst other things, you know, like I said, I was doing photo shoots and getting in Vogue. Um, so a couple of my images were distributed through Getty images. Um, so I was, I was, you know, labeled as a photographer on Getty images through this program that I was working in. Um, and makers place, the marketplace makers place was actually reaching out to photographers, um, on Getty images and asking, Hey, you want a free mint on the blockchain? And I think they were actually offering three mints, but I only took one. I just like did one. And I was like, I don't see the value. I don't see people, you know, lining up to buy my, you know, blockchain photograph. Like I didn't right. understand what it was, you know, it didn't make, they did, they weren't calling them NFTs at the time, you know, they just, um, they were just trying to, you know, adopt people into onto the platform. Right. And, uh, you know, that was one of my moments that I'm still hitting myself about that, you know, I didn't, you know, take advantage of that moment because I really didn't understand. Um, you know, I knew what the blockchain was, but I didn't literally make that connection being like Bitcoin photograph. Like that didn't, I didn't under, I didn't understand it at that point in time. Um, fast forward, not that long, less than a year later, you know, um, I thought things were going really well for me, you know, in the traditional entertainment industry. Um, up until the pandemic happened, I was literally in um, Orlando, Florida, you know, as a media sponsor for a um, for an influencer convention, you know, shooting their promo video. And, you know, we were at parties with a lot of people and I had a bunch of like I had a whole camera crew and, you know, I was living life. I was going to all these things. We were meeting with studios. We were like, OK, this is going to be great. And then uh, literally we move. We, we come home and two days later, our country locks down. So right. I was like, oh, shoot, what do we do? And then for the next um six months, I tried working under that climate and it really didn't work for the work that I was doing. You know, um, we did a commercial, um, for, for Gaviscon and it was, um, you know, it was supposed to be a half day to a day long shoot. We ended up on set for 10 days. We didn't get paid overtime. It was really brutal. Um, I had to carry a fridge up a flight of stairs myself because they were only allowed like five people on set at a time. And that included the art director and all production crew, um, of which I was the art director. Um, it was a mess. So it really wasn't like safe or good to be working in that time in like the film industry um or like the, the entertainment industry let's say um so i 
was, you know, I was having difficulty paying rent and I, and I got rid of my apartment and I moved back home with my family and I didn't really know what to do. And one thing led to another. And I actually, you know, as kind of like a Hail Mary, I applied to this program in Italy, um, which was an art direction master's program in collaboration with Vogue Italia, not thinking I would necessarily get in. It was like a 10 person program and I got in. And then my, my fiance, now fiance, then, you know, long-term partner applied for a work visa. He got a work visa in Italy during the pandemic somehow, you know, like all of these things kind of, wow. kind of worked out. We, we traveled to Italy and then uh, I won't give the whole uh, story. And then this is not me trying to like get sympathy <laughs> from anybody, but um, I did get diagnosed with cancer while I was in Italy. And I started this program. Things were like kind of good. We got back into lockdown. I got diagnosed with cancer. I was in the hospital. I didn't really have much, to do in lockdown in Italy, um, in the hospital with cancer. <laughs> sure. Uh, so wow. I petitioned the school we were doing at the time, like I, you know, I, I did a couple of the projects, whatever, we did a couple of photography projects, but at the time we were doing a trend forecasting um, research project. And this is that moment where I, you know, I was at home on Clubhouse, I get this project that I'm supposed to do and I'm listening and I'm talking and I'm, and I'm having all these, you know, conversations, um, which end up being about NFTs. And at first I didn't really understand them and I didn't know what they were. And I was sitting in a clubhouse room one night, um, with, with a couple of people who were, you know, like executives or like higher up people at various fashion brands. And I was at school in Italy talking about fashion every day. So like, this was like my moment that it was, it like came to me and it made sense. And like these people were talking about, you know, every time you sell, you know, a bag at a Gucci or a Prada, you know, this thing comes with, um, a receipt and a certificate of authenticity and a membership card and you get put into a separate CRM system and then you also get put into a separate email system and you also get to you know you also get prioritized on each separate social media platform and blah 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 he had this whole long thing and he said all of that could be replaced by an NFT and I just had a complete aha moment I was like holy shit I hope I can swear on here if not holy 100%. shoot yeah, uh, you know cool. <laughs> uh you know this is this is this is it oh my god that's that and then and then I had my whole aha moment of oh my God, that's that thing that I minted a year ago. Are you kidding me? And then I go to my email and I find 50 unanswered emails from Maker's Place and I start like frantically replying to them. And I'm just like completely go down a rabbit hole. And um, the reason I mentioned the trend forecasting, uh, you know, assignment is, you know, after going down that little rabbit hole, I was like, you know, I, I emailed the professor. I'm like, I can't be in class right now. I don't know what the hell you're teaching because um, I can't be there. So can I just do this trend forecast on NFTs and I'll apply it to fashion because I see the, you know, parallel. I see the use case very clearly. Um, and she said, yes, she didn't know what the hell I was talking about. But she said, yes. And then I did this trend forecasting and then she understood. And she was like, OK, wow, this is very impressive. Um, and one thing led to another. And since I was, you know, hospitalized and all this was happening, luckily, thank God, I'm fine now. Um, but over this next, you know, better part of a year, about nine months, um, while I was, you know, finishing my school, you know, going through my health crisis and living in Italy, um, all during the pandemic, uh, you know, I wrote my master's thesis on NFTs. And, you know, again, I came there to do my master's in art direction. That apparently wasn't the path that <laughs> the world saw for me. But, uh, you know, instead, I ended up, you know, really researching and I read every single thing that was possibly on the internet about NFTs um, at up, up until probably like April of 2021. So I was doing this uh, fall of 2020, beginning of 2021. And um, releasing it then resulted in me being, at least to my knowledge, still the first uh, like academic document that was actually read readable. That was not just like a, you know, like a blockchain paper about Bitcoin, but actually a, a paper about uh, the, the title of my paper was NFTs as an anthropological device. Um, and I released that online, literally not thinking anything of it, thinking that like this is just my weird nerdy research thing that I did. And I, I was aware of some things, you know, happening, you know, at that time, like when I was releasing that, I mean, I was having conversations with people, which immediately like very soon after I ended up working with 
um, you know, about things that were going on, you know, at that time, you know, a lot of the collections that were launching, you know, we were coming up into like the big um, NFT summer. This was April before May where the Bored Apes launched, you know, so, we're, you know, we're coming up to that kind of period of time. Um, but the reason I'm saying all this is, you know, when I when I put in when I submitted my master's thesis, I got 100 percent of my master's thesis. Vogue Italia is like, wow, this is amazing. They still I don't think I think they read it 20 times later and then like a year later, then they started doing stuff <laughs> in the space, which is fun. Um, they can they can get mad at me for saying that. I don't care. Um, I think it's fun. I finish my program, basically, and I go away on vacation. And right before I go away on vacation, um, there's like a PDF version of this, which uh, like a, a, a classmate of mine who I'm still very good friends with to this day, the only person who I really like keep in touch with for my program. Um, her name's Nicole, uh, Nicole Biondi. She's a local Fiorentine um, and she now lives in, in Lisbon, Portugal. She's an art director. She's super talented. She's very cool. Um, and she kind of like helped me. Um, she helped me rework like the thesis into like an art book. Or like, you know, something that looks cool. And I can send you a link. You can check out what I mean by that. Um, but, it you know, it's very visual. It's very interesting. Um, there's a lot of gifts. There's a lot of imagery. I helped, you know, kind of curate in a bunch of like NFT artists that I like at the time. Uh, from Andre O'Shea to Trevor Jones to like, you know, DressX and Fabricants and everybody in between. Um, and we we made this like ebook. And so we put this book on the internet. We literally have like an Adobe link where you can view it. And we put it through, you know, like a bit.ly so we could see how many people actually read it. And when we posted it online, like maybe like 12 people, 15 people read it. And then I went away on vacation um, to Greece for like a week because I, I, it was like when lockdown lifted at the end of all this. Like I, I had not been anywhere the entire time I was in Europe. I couldn't leave uh, Florence, let alone Italy, uh, which was a bummer. But, you know, I was like, I'm going to Greece. I want to go to Greece. So I go away. I don't check social media for a week. I don't check anything for a week. And then I come back and it went from like, you know, 13 views to like, I thought it would be more. I don't know. In my mind, I was like, I thought it'd be more at first, but it was like 1200 uh, reads. And I was like, oh, wow, um, that's a lot of people read my thing. Like, actually, you know, and I was yeah. like thinking about it. I was like, wow, that's like really quick. And I didn't send I didn't put this anywhere. I just kind of like sent it to a few people, like people like, who asked like, no, no, it. no publicity or anything. Right? No, like literally people on Clubhouse who asked me for it. I'd sent them the link. You know what I mean? And like a few like professors and people from my school who like asked me for it. Like maybe I sent this maybe 20 people and then like 1200 people had read it. And I'm like, damn. And then. You know, again, I'm like sorting out leaving Italy. All these things are happening in my life. You know, um, I'm talking to people to try to get a job out of school. And then I start getting all these emails. And I'm like, this is interesting. And I'm like starting to answer some of the emails. I'm like, these are good emails. Like, you know, Outlier Ventures reached out to me and they're like, we like the way you write about NFTs and we should do a NFT magazine um, together. And I'm like, okay. And so I started writing for them and I wrote the first, one of the first articles about the board apes. And I wrote one of the first articles about the me bits and, you know, I was starting to do some of this stuff, but then I was getting a lot of emails and I'm like, damn, where are these emails coming from? Um, and you know, I looked at the document link and then it was like, oh shoot, 30,000 people have read this. Mm. Uh, wow. That's crazy. And my email was just straight in the document. Um, it wasn't like, you know, it was just my personal email. Cause again, I didn't, think that many people would read this. Um, and so one thing led to another, at, at a certain point, I was getting like 10,000 emails a week and like really wow. trying to keep up with them. I have like some screenshots of like my inbox at like 20,000 emails, 50,000 emails, like just trying to like barely, barely keeping up with, you know, even a, a, a fraction of these. Um, eventually I got an assistant. Her first job was to help me go through all my emails. Actually, I got two assistants. Sure. Um, their first thing was just go through all of it. And then I realized I only need one. Um, after they went through the 20,000 emails that were sitting in my account. Um, and, uh, you know, out of all of that came the birth of cash labs because, you know, I had all of this inbound, all of these people asking, um, what do we do with NFTs? I had seven years of commercial, uh, production experience across mediums and I had, you know, a master's thesis on NFTs. So it was just this kind of confluence of these two worlds, um, together that just kind of birthed cash labs. And now there's a lot that we do, but 
um, that's how it all started. You know, it just started again, same way as, as David Cash Studios, but on a little bit of a grander scale with me just saying yes. And, uh, you know, um, I've mentioned this before, but, um, you know, for instance, that uh, that thing that I did with Outlier Ventures, um, that put me in touch with over 100 of the biggest people in Web3 period, you know, people ranging from Pranksy to the, the Larva Labs people to Whale Shark um, to, you know, a ton of amazing artists um, like, you know, Serena Tabaki, curators like Serena Tabaki, like an amazing group of people were a part of that original DAO that we put together to run that uh, magazine, which I ended up being the editor in chief of. Um, and then simultaneously, I started doing work with Unit London. And I, and I always accredit this back to these, um, you know, opportunities, because I really do see it all kind of being very, it's like the blockchain. It's like, it's like, you know, mycelium, you know, this kind of reverence that everything kind of links to other things. Sure, so, sure. You know, when I started, when I started working with Unit London, when they just started, when they called um, their NFT branch Institute, when they were launching that, um, they tapped on me to help them create content. Uh, Pedro from Institute, uh, he, he tapped on me to create content again in these early days when I was one of the only people writing about NFTs. Um, and, uh, you know, that's how I met people like Krista Kim. That's how I met, um, a lot of the people who I work with today and have worked with them and been close friends with for years. And, uh, Krista is also a huge catalyst to kind of how we blew up and, you know, got so many opportunities. Um, you know, it was very, but it was also very organic, you know, um, I did an interview with Christopher Institute and we did an hour long interview. We got along really well. We had a lovely time together. And then we get on a call to talk about the next piece of content. She's like, where are you based? And I'm like, I literally moved back to Toronto, Canada, two days ago. I was living in Italy. She's like, get out. I'm in Toronto. And I'm like, really? And then, so we went and got lunch that week. You know what I mean? Like very organic. Yeah. And then we started doing one project together, really enjoyed working together, started doing another, another, another. And, uh, you know, we've done dozens of projects together now, you know, um, all over the world, you know, in Miami, in Europe, in uh, New York, uh, in Toronto. So, and now she's in LA. So, um, yeah, it's a beautiful confluence. One thing always leads to another. And uh, I, I, I can, I can, like my, I would say the story from that point is all very um, linked together. I'd say once I got on chain sure. uh, officially, it was very, very linked together. And and I'm a huge DJ and I have hundreds of NFTs. So throughout that process, you know, I very much got myself ingrained um, in the world in a number of different ways. Um, completely enamored, still am right now. Um, yeah, this is all I do now. Well, and and it sounds like too that you, from that early interest and in, and in pursuit and career in in acting and film and with your production company, it sounds like then the the merge with Web three, as you mentioned, happened organically. But it, it still was you pursuing an interest, and then by acting on that interest, that eventually led to opportunity, which led to the formation of cash labs, but it was all kind of rooted in, as you said, you saying yes and taking action on what you found exciting and interesting and, and relatable to what, what you liked. I always used to joke that um, I couldn't have a hobby because I would always end up turning it into a business, <laughs> um, especially when I had David Cash Studios because it was so broad and I did everything. Sure. So, you know, I would I would watch a video about somebody painting on jackets. Like, I don't know, I watched this Basquiat documentary and then I watched a bunch of like, you know, spray painting videos. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I want to paint on jackets. And then I did a New York Fashion Week collection where I painted on stuff. You know what I mean? Like I always would just like take things and run with them, you know, in ridiculous senses. And like, you know, that would result in like me in my dad's backyard with like a can of spray paint, like spray paint because I couldn't find like a park that would like allow me to spray paint, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm just some kid from Toronto, you know, at that point, I don't know, I was probably 19. Um, but yeah, I, I always kind of had that attitude. Um, I would say, you know, if I, if I have something I'm passionate about, I want to do it. You know, I, I have this crazy idea for an art film. I'm going to do it. I'm going to execute it. Um, 
Yeah. And it's actually really funny because when I was when I was really crazy artistic, more so than now, I was actually watching a lot of these like Gary Vee videos being like, you know, anything you're passionate about, just do it. And now it's funny because now I'm full circle. I just interviewed him for Vogue and now I'm working with him. And I haven't watched his content in years. But back when we were doing this, it just made me think about it. Um, back when I was doing this type of stuff, I absolutely was following that kind of like, you know, you're a kid. You try everything, do everything. And I was like, yeah, I am a kid. I'm going to do everything. You know, Let, let's go. I love the full circle nature, too, of of the Gary Vee element. And because I think he would be a, a large proponent of exactly what we're talking about here, which is leaning into what you enjoy and totally, you know, letting from that, letting the organic process. Take passion is a great vehicle for, yeah. for success, because if you're really passionate about something, the likelihood of you actually like uh, following through and, uh, you know, bring it to the finish line are much higher. Um, I find totally. And, and in that sense, do you think that having that passion, having that interest and, and really what, what you're saying, the pursuing all these different things and, and seeing business opportunities in them, it kind of seems pretty well positioned to like Web3 sounds like the ecosystem for someone like you, you know, like it, it sounds like for everything that you're interested in, the, the opportunities and the ability to take action on interests in a variety of different and creative ways is sort of the landscape of what you're working in, you know? A hundred percent. And that's one of the reasons I love Web3 because, you know, I, I, I may have already even said this, but I think, you know, Web3 exists at this beautiful uh, confluence, you know, this beautiful meeting point of, you know, art, fashion, music, culture. Um, and that really interests me, you know, on a really deep level. And I think that the deeper I delve um, into all sorts of elements, you know, from the metaverse to, to you know, uh, eccentricities of DeFi to generative art and creative coding, um, to and everything in between, you know, all these these things, these worlds that um, you know, Web three opens the doors to. Um, even now, you know, delving into things beyond Web three, like AI and you know, all types of new tech, you know, like hol uh, hol uh, holographs and the Hololens, um, and how we can move things further in terms of extended reality technologies. Like all of these things, still very much interest me, um, and I always like to exist on the bleeding edge. Um, and I think that that's what I've learned, you know, uh, you know, educating uh, educating myself um, about this space, and you know, really diving in deeply over the past three years. Um, what I'm really excited about, I think, now is a little bit different than what I was excited about a year or two ago. Um, I think, you know, when I was younger, and I think a lot of young people hear this, everybody says, you have to, you have to pick a niche, you have to double down, you have to pick a small, you know, area that you want to specify, uh, you know, specialize in or specify um, your intentions towards. And I, I always kind of like um, shirked that or didn't take that seriously until, you know, I started running a business for multiple years. Um, and I think that, you know, when we started, you know, again, like, like we're talking about, I said yes a lot. Um, I still do, um, but not as much, not nearly as much. Um, I think when we were starting, you know, there was so much inbound that it was difficult to say no. And there was so much opportunity that there were a lot of things we wanted to say yes to. Um, I wouldn't say it's very different now. We still do exist primarily on inbound and referrals um, as a business. But um, again, when we started, you know, we were kind of the only ones doing what we were doing. Um, or one of the only ones doing what we were doing or offering the services that we were offering on a commercial level. Um, and so we got a ton of opportunities um, just from being, you know, you know, first first mover advantage, I would say, um, you know, in the early days. So we've done over 200, almost 300 different activations, projects, um, things um, with brands, with uh, artists, with people um, on the blockchain. You can check them out. And, you know, that's one of our calling cards is, you know, everything that we say that we do, you can check out, you know, you can go see for yourself whether you like it or not. It's there. Um, you know, it's part of, it's part of this space. Um, well, and, and in terms of, in terms of what you guys do, maybe just to, to clarify for listeners who, who aren't yeah. aware, what, what is the core business of cash labs and, and sort of what do you guys, I know you have a, a breadth of, uh, 
projects and and activations that you work on what what's sort of the high level overview of of who you guys are and what you're all about so our our calling card today is cash labs brings web3 to market and you know like i mentioned at the beginning of the interview you know vogue was so kind as to as to say that we're the leading force in bringing these types of web3 endeavors to market um specifically our business model right now is based around three pillars um those pillars are content creation um web3 pr and community building um, but I would say we have kind of three um, arms of our business beyond those pillars. Um, really, you know, part of our business is a, is a production hub. It's a production company. Um, we do 3D production. We do metaverse production, um, everything in between, um, 2D production, video production, all the things that I kind of did before and beyond, you know, within this very, you know, specialized Web3 space. Um, we do um, go to market, um, everything from strategy um, to managing social media pl platforms to, um, you know, growth hacking and growing social media platforms across Discord, TikTok, um, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. Um, and, you know, PR and, uh, you know, like I said, Web3 PR, this kind of specialized um, realm of PR that, you know, only Web3 really knows, you know, everything from Twitter spaces um, to traditional media and everything in between. Um, and then the third, third realm is more is more client facing. It's quite private. Um, you know, I, I don't talk too much in specifics about it, but it's our it's our talent arm. Um, and this is something that we've been incubating for the past few months and using with a lot of different clients. Uh, but we do, you know, privately represent about 100 different thought leaders and artists um, within the Web3 oh, space wow. to major brands. And it's not something that we advertise publicly. It's something that's, you know, just B2B focused. Um, okay. But we happily talk about it. You know, uh, a lot of our um, larger brand clients who, again, many of them are very deeply under an NDA. But, um, you know, the ones that we can talk about, you know, people like Farfetch, people like Estee Lauder, um, et cetera, you know, can take advantage of these types of uh, services. But um, just in context, I would say when we began, you know, in this, in this, in these early phases, you know, like I said, when we're like drinking from the fire hose, <laughs> let's say, you know, in the early days of in the early days of cash labs, I wouldn't say that, you know, we have the same business model. We were, you know, just very much doing, like I said, like whatever people needed essentially like, Hey, I need an article written about this. Okay. Hey, I need a video made about teaching people what NFT, what NFTs are. Okay. You know, so we were just kind of saying yes for a long time. And then I think the pivotal moment, which we talked about in our last interview for us was metaverse fashion week. Um, where when we can talk about more details about this, but just on a really high level, um, you know, 1.4 billion people witnessed this event through some form of media or an article or something, you know, um, that was our organic, you know, um, media reach, um, in terms of organic individual people, um, only 150,000 of those. And I don't know exactly what percent that is. I probably should. Um, but you know, my math is not incredible. It's not what I do. Um, but unless it's a dollar sign in front of it, um, <laughs> I would say that that percentage of people was really low from my perspective in terms of who was interested in this versus who was able to experience this. And that really changed our business model. And that's why all of these things that I'm saying right now are very, very B2B focused um, for a reason. And that's because, you know, we really want to help onboard the rest of that billion people that were trying to access Metaverse Fashion Week and weren't able to successfully that first Metaverse Fashion Week. Um, and the way that we see that being facilitated is through massive consumer brands, massive, pu massive publicly traded companies with tens, if not hundreds of millions of consumers um, who already enjoy their products and their services. Um, and we see holistically and organically onboarding those audiences and those brands as being the recipe um, to actually making Web3 technology viable. So um, to answer your question, and again, a bit of a long-winded way, that's what we really care about right now as a company. And that's really where we've shifted our business model from where we began um, to where we are now. Got it. So it's it's really taking using the opportunity that large brands present through their their reach and their audience and the people, the community that are their exists. product and their brand loyalty right, right. and all of these things. Absolutely. Yeah. And taking that and and just converting it to Web3 
Uh, it's solving problems with technology. You know, I think our, our what we're we're um, doing a lot of uh, work right now for a conference that we're going to be presenting at next month um, called Collision. I'm not sure when this is going out, but uh, in June of 2023, we're doing a conference called uh, Collision, um, and we're going to be doing um, a lot of you know marketing to a lot of very like mainstream people. And when we talk about cash labs to people who don't know anything about Web three or anything about any of these technologies, you know, our our byline is really let us help your business use technology, new technology to your advantage, instead of letting technology use you, period, double space, whether it's AI, whether it's Web3, um, whatever it is, you know, I think that's the ultimate thing for businesses. We specialize, at least the people who work for my my company, um, we specialize in riding these waves of new technologies. And I know there's a lot of um, fear. Um, some people don't even like to talk about Web3. I love Web3. It's done a lot of great things for me in terms of like how I run my business, in terms of how I live my life, in terms of how I have a tab out right now open on OpenSea, um, where I just potentially made, you know, $10,000 on an NFT drop that I'm currently, you know, uh, involved with and, and monitoring because I bought into it because I love it. You know, these these access points and these benefits to life, um, to intangible benefits that I believe that Web3 offer, um, I believe are universal for businesses. But I also think that businesses um, are always interested in what's next. Um, most of the leading companies in the world have an innovation department. And that's something that's going to outlive all of these specific technologies, NFTs, uh, other than the blockchain, other than the blockchain and the metaverse as a concept. Um, you know, all of these things are going to be are going to come and go um, in terms of popularity or in terms of relevance. And I think that in order to stay relevant as as a as an agency, as as us, um, we have to be willing to ride this wave um, with businesses and help them navigate um, these new, te new technologies again in a way that that doesn't alienate them or their audiences. And that's the difficult part. Um, you know, if you hop on a call and you say, okay, you're going to do an airdrop to all of your users and they're going to all have to sign up for wallets and it's going to only, right. it's so easy. You just have to add up a, a, a polygon tab to your MetaBasket. It's too, it's you're, too complicated. You've yeah. lost them. They're right. gone. Right. They're not, they're not there with you that you've already lost them. So I think that's the challenge and that's what we're working on right now with a lot of brands. In terms of working with brands, you mentioned you have the in-house sort of talent hub that, that isn't necessarily advertised, but is a service and an opportunity for the brands that you work with to engage with. Uh, is that sort of, how do, I guess, how does that help leverage your work with those brands? And by having everybody in-house, how does that, again, just make those integrations and activations more seamless? That, that's a great question. Um, you know, I like to say that we're a full stack solution for brands. You know, when we're working with a partner, we don't want them to necessarily have to seek um, assistance in other areas. Um, and because of that, you know, we're very collaborative. We're not very, it's, it might, that might sound competitive, but it's actually the opposite. Um, we do work with most major agencies in this space. Um, if you can think of somebody, we've probably worked with them in the past, or we work with one of their subsidiaries. Um, we do outsource a lot. We do hire a lot. We do, um, you know, third-party integrations where people are subcontracting through us. Um, and we do that because we want the best quality outputs for our clients. Again, period, double space. Um, it's, it's not, it's not a, um, a question it should be uh, it should be a solution you know we like to we like to solve things we like to solve them to the best of our absolute ability so if that requires me you know if somebody wants an incredible metaverse build and they're willing to spend a lot of money on it that involves me reaching out to michael potts who is the design lead at polycount uh, which is owned by exclusible and me engaging him because you know he's, he's very expensive but he's the best um and i know if that's what the brand wants that's what the brand's going to get um so to that effect you know in terms of the the talent portion of what we do um I'm a curator, I'm a writer, I'm also a strategist and I also run Cash Labs. So I do a lot of things and people know me for a lot of reasons. Some people know me as David Cash, the writer for Vogue. Some people know me as David Cash, the curator for Decentraland. Um, people know me for different things and a lot of brands will trust my 
uh, opinion and my taste level and my perspective. Um, yes, I have the credentials. I have an undergrad in art history and a master's degree in art direction. Um, I ran a production company and was an art director for seven years. Um, there's a lot of reasons why I'm good at curating, you know, just on paper. But a lot of brands do trust, again, my taste level and my knowledge of the space um, to curate things on their behalf. So a lot of the time, I am personally a curator um, for brands. So often when we, the reason I kind of set this up the way that we have it right now is when Cash Labs is, when Cash Labs is engaged um, with a client, a lot of the time, part of our scope will involve, um, if I'm involved, will involve some level of curation because it's one of the things I'm extremely good at um, and a lot of brands trust me um, with. Uh, so, so I think that's the reason why, you know, a lot of the, if not all of the artists, thought leaders, um, individuals um, in our talent pool, which again, as you can tell, I'm purposely being uh, subtle about it because again, we're not a talent agency. We don't represent any of these um, artists as their management um, or as their, as their, as their uh, agent. Um, we are simply an intermediary with their agents, and a lot of these are represented by the top managements in the world. You know, think WME, you know, CAA, uh, UTA, all of these, all of these types of agencies. You know, again, they're that's their management. We are not their management. We are the arm that connects them with brands, and we have continued to provide value to a lot of these artists for a very long time, to the point where they feel comfortable with us um, privately representing them um, to these large brands who we work with. Um, and so that's, that's really how that's worked into our equation. Um, again, we like to be full service. So if we're working with a brand on a strategy scope, we also love to be able to be the person running their social media. We also love to be able to be, you know, the person who's managing their growth plan for the next year. We also love to be the person who's managing their partnerships and bringing in other people for them to work with, even if those are other agencies who we, we can then subcontract under us. Um, so got we it, do, we are it, very ecosystem it. driven. We're very customized in terms of our scope. And especially for the larger clients um, that we work with, think like the top 10 largest companies in the world. Um, we are extremely customized to their needs and we'll always happily, you know, what, with one of our clients right now, we have 24 different scopes of work that we're working on with them right now um, because we're very open to that. And we're very collaborative and we want to see them succeed. And so a lot of those sort of subcontract relationships enable you guys to say it's a piece of talent work you and you want to help them work with a brand you're you're aligning the needs and interests of both parties the talent and the brand and then working with the CAs the WMEs of the world to sometimes it's necessary right and 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 is that do you guys act more as a an unofficial call it web three arm for these different pieces of talent is that I'd say we're more the representative for the brands if Got anything, it. like the, 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 the talents have their representation, right. we're the representation for the brands in a lot of these conversations because the brands need it. Let's be honest. Um, you know, you put you put a brand in a room with a WME agent. There's some scary motherfuckers. WME <laughs> is no joke. Like they're they're meant they're sharks in the water sent to kill you. You know, so if you're a brand and you're not accustomed to that, especially if you're not one of the top 10 largest brands in the world and you still want to work with us, like we do still work with some leading Web3 companies um, and beyond. Um I'd say, you know, it's helpful to have somebody on your side who, who understands the, the uh, you know, the situation and has been there before and who can be there on your side. So I think, um, yes, we're there for the artists always, but we're also very much there for the brands and we like to be that intermediary. Um, I always like to call myself a gate opener, not a, you know, not a gatekeeper. Um, you know, right. if I'm working with a brand and if, if you're my client, you know, my job is to facilitate um, communications of all kinds. You know, my job is to make that launch as successful as humanly possible. Um, because I want to see what's going on right now with this drop that, you know, I'd had the pleasure of, you know, uh, working with the, with the folks behind, you know, they, they were extremely successful and, and the floor is reflecting that, and, you know, in one day they did over 380 ETH in secondary, um, 
from a collection of 400 pieces during a bear market, you know, like that's the kind of success I want to see for people on a very regular basis. Um, and anyway, I'm going on a tangent, but, um, you get the point. <laughs> I, I do. And, and on that tip in, in terms of success and, and what you hope to bring to and deliver to, uh, those clients, what are you working that you can speak to now that, uh, you're excited about and, and you look forward to, I know you mentioned collision coming up. What, projects do you have that uh and collaborations in the works right now that that you're you're looking forward to unfortunately most of what we're working on right now is top secret um the biggest project that we're working on right now is very much under wraps um probably until this fall um but i'd be happy to talk about it um in a few months um it's been something we've been working on for over a year it's going to be massive it's probably going to be the biggest thing that's happened in web3 um thus far and that's not me trying to hyperbolize it really is insane um, public facing, um, one of our lovely clients, um, is Farfetch. I'm currently a mentor for the Farfetch and Outlier Ventures Dream Assembly. Um, so I have the pleasure of currently working with, um, I'm a mentor for five different brands currently mm -hmm. under their umbrella, um, which I'm super excited about. So a lot is going to be coming out over the coming, um, months, um, with each of these brands. So do check out my Twitter and uh, see what all these incredible people are doing. Um, I'm pretty confident that at least one of them is going to be the future of, um, fashion in terms of plug-in integrations. Like we're going to get some really cool solves um, for the application layer of the virtual fashion system and the traditional fashion system. So I'm really excited about that. Um, also in terms of things I'm allowed to talk about with Farfetch, um, there have been some publicly public facing, um, uh, you know, activations such as Twitter spaces. If you go to their Twitter and you scroll around, um, you'll see a ton of different Twitter spaces, um, curations, shout outs from people in the space. Um, so it's been a pleasure to work with them um, in terms of, you know, letting them holistically enter into the Web3 foray um, as they're still, you know, pending uh, a release yet. But they already do things like accept crypto payments. Um, they've already definitely taken a big, big step um, into the space thus far, which is super exciting. Um, and then there's a number of different fashion brands that we're working with right now. Unfortunately, all of them we can't talk very much about. Um, <laughs> we can talk about this drop that just went live operator um human unreadable um that's the the project that i keep alluding to they just went crazy um on secondary that was a collaboration between them and art blocks i will not take direct credit for it um, but they've been my friend and client for a very very long time um and uh, yeah that drop went live and sold out in 30 minutes um it's the first time that a queer couple they're a married lesbian couple um to my knowledge has sold out it a collection like this on art blocks um, wow. sold out in 30 minutes yesterday um and uh, the again the floor price is currently and this is one day and three hours after it went live, it's it, uh, the floor price is already 2.3 ETH. Yeah, 2.3 ETH. And they've done over 392 ETH in volume on secondary in just one day, which is absolutely absurd. So I'm um, very, very proud of them. Um, that's somebody who we helped them mint their very first NFT just a few years ago, um, which is really, really exciting. So, yeah. um, you know, that's how trajectories can happen in this space. You know, if you, if you really stick to it and uh, do an incredible job consistently. Um, also, our client, The Fabricant, is going live right now with their Capers drop. Um, we have a, an assisted mint. I'm going to be doing a live mint with them um, in the next couple of weeks, so you can keep an eye out for that. Um, do highly recommend checking out The Fabricant. They're a fabulous, fabulous brand. Um, and I'm trying to think if there's anything else I'm allowed to mention. Um, I don't think there is, other than Collision. Yes, you, you did allude to it, so I will mention it. I won't I won't be rude in that respect. Um, we, are, we do have a booth. Um, at the Collision Conference this year, which I'm super excited about. Um, we're going to be showcasing uh, Cash Labs. We have some interesting presentations um, around. We have our growth hacker who's going to be there live in person, and he's going to be doing some uh, some fun, very interesting things that do involve the blockchain and AI. Um, so if you are in Toronto, I do highly recommend you come and check that out. Um, we'll have something for you. We'll have a free NFT for you. That's all I'll say. Um, but yeah, hopefully that was, uh, I hopefully I didn't 
uh, you know, break any NDAs by saying any of that stuff. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> Supremely comprehensive. Uh, just out of curiosity too, and thank you for sharing uh, everything that, that you're allowed to upcoming. How do you guys, do you guys have a, a stake in when you, when you help a brand or a company or uh, an artistic duo launch an NFT? Is that, you know, are you just the, you, are you guys getting commit, paid to help the launch and then you kind of so whip your hands? So we typically or? work in a traditional agency model. So we actually rarely, we have done drops, full disclosure. I don't want to lie on, you know, on the record. We have done drops where we do take a percentage of the drop, but typically we work in a traditional agency model where we just take payment for services. Um, so typically I will, if I like the drop, I will personally invest in it. Like the drop that happened yesterday, I bought two of the pieces with my own money. Um, I spent like two point something ETH, you know, that's, you can see it on the blockchain. It's mine. They mm -hmm. didn't send me that ETH. You can also check that um, because I like them. Um, but also that's with somebody like Artblocks. Artblocks is very, very to the, to the record. Like the artists only got one piece each. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's like that. Sometimes we do take a small uh, percentage, but typically, and for most of the larger brands that we work with, especially with their corporate infrastructures and how tricky that is, uh, we usually do not take a percentage unless we're working with an individual artist, I would say. Um, we typically do not take a percentage. Um, we just do it pure um, retainer model. Got you. Got you. Very cool. Well, David, uh, I appreciate the time. This is this has been a, another fantastic conversation. And uh, you mentioned you're active on Twitter. Where can people find you and Cash Labs and if they want to get more involved? Yeah, I really appreciate it. And thank you again for, for hosting me for, for another conversation. It's always a pleasure hanging out with you. You ask great questions and you and you uh, allow me to, to ramble. So I very much appreciate it. <laughs> um, if you want to find me online, uh, you can check out my uh, me on all social media at davidcash888. Uh, so that's Twitter, Instagram. And I think I have a TikTok. I, I think I have some stuff there. So if you if you're a kid and you like TikTok, you know, go go there. Check it out. Um, yeah. And also on LinkedIn at uh, David Cash eight 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 as well. And then uh, Cash Labs is available. This is the annoying one. You can find us on LinkedIn, uh, but you can also find us on on uh, Instagram at cashlabs.io and on Twitter at cashlabs underscore. And on Twitter, look out for the gold check mark. I have to pay for that, so please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make, make it worth his while, ladies and gentlemen. Please, please. Yeah, David, much appreciated. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much, Steve. Thanks for listening to another episode of Lights, Camera, Crypto, a podcast produced by Matt Bogart and Decentral Media. Music by Brian Duncan and Kareem Imes. If you enjoyed this experience, be sure to rate and subscribe to our show and to follow at Sladen and at Decentral Media for additional content.